here and, and maybe you maybe you watched it on the live stream or if you didn't get a chance to, I encourage you to go back and watch that sermon uh, on the live stream. And then, of course, next Sunday, Easter Sunday, is going to be a great time in the Lord. The children's choir will be singing next Sunday, so if you have kids or grandkids that you bring with you or that you want to be up here on the platform, make sure that they're here early and on time, okay? They need to be up in Sunday school by 10 o'clock because uh, they're going to be doing their song right away up in Sunday school getting ready, and then they're going to come in here and have it. Well, today is Palm Sunday, the Sunday before Easter, and uh, there was a story uh, I was telling a friend about last night, and uh, we were talking about Palm Sunday and everything, and the story reminded me, uh, or Palm Sunday reminded me of this story. And it was a little boy that was home, and uh, he stayed home with his mom one Sunday, and he was a regular attendee of church, and, um, but he was sick, or for some reason or, or another, he stayed home with his mother. And, and his father came home from church, and he had a palm branch. He was holding a palm branch, and, and the boy was curious, and he said, Dad, he said, why do you have that palm branch? And he said, well, son, you see, when Jesus came to town, everyone waved palm branches to honor him. So today, we all got palm branches. And the boy said, oh, wouldn't you know it, Dad, the one Sunday I missed, Jesus showed up. So you never know what's going to happen. If you miss church, Jesus may show up. Some said that Palm Sunday is, is Jesus Stepping out, saying, all right, devil, get ready to catch these palms. Okay, nothing there either. All right, man, some of y'all are just tough today. It's been a long week for some of y'all. But today is Palm Sunday. It's the day that the church celebrates the beginning of Jesus' last week on earth. And we get the name Palm because of the older translations that tells us that Jesus rode into town. And as he rode into Jerusalem, the people began to take off their coats. They began to take off their, their cloaks and their garments, and they laid them out as, as a carpet. And if they didn't have them, they were grabbing palm branches and laying palm branches down for Jesus to ride across. And the day marked a time of celebration where Jesus was worshipped and he was praised. And it is a bittersweet day because even as we read of the celebration, we know that Friday is coming. And the cross is coming. And the crucifixion is coming. We know that many in the crowd, we read, will within just a few short days exchange the words uh, uh, of praise to a word of death. They would shout, Hosanna, Hosanna on Sunday, and then crucify Him, crucify Him on Friday. Today is not just a Palm Sunday, but it's also known as Passion Sunday. And so I, I gathered with today, do I preach on palms or do I preach on passion? And if I preach about Palm Sunday, I would have to mention about the people that traveled from great distances for the festival and then just to hail Jesus as King of the Jews. I would talk to you about how they laid the branches down in front of Jesus as he made his way into Jerusalem. I would tell you how happy they were to see him. And how they were so excited that they took their coats off and they grabbed palm branches and they laid them as carpet on the ground for Jesus to ride across. If I preached about Palm Sunday, I would have to talk about how these events fulfilled the prophecies of long ago. The prophecies of Zechariah that he foretold about the king who would ride into Jerusalem on a borrowed donkey or a colt. And how the people went crazy with the hope that they would be saved from the cruel and Roman Empire. 
and they sang, Hosanna, Hosanna. And if I were to preach about Palm Sunday, I would have to tell you how this day was like none before. It was a day of great hope for the people who lived in hopelessness. The Bible tells us in Luke chapter 19, after they brought the colt to Jesus, they placed their prayer shawls on its back. Jesus wrote it as he descended on the Mount of Olives toward Jerusalem. And as he rode toward the city, people began to spontaneously throw their prayer shawls like a carpet on the path in front of him. And as soon as he got to the bottom of the Mount of Olives, the crowd of his followers shouted with a loud outburst of ecstatic joy all over the mighty wonders and the power that they had witnessed. They shouted over and over, highest praises to God for the one who comes as king in the name of the Lord. Heaven's peace and glory from the highest realm now comes to us. Some Jewish religious, religious leaders who stood off from the procession, they said to Jesus, Teacher, order your followers at once to stop saying these things. And this is where we get the verse. Jesus said to them, If my followers were silenced, the very stones would break forth with praise. That's where we get the, the verse, I won't let a rock cry out for me. I won't let a rock cry out because Jesus said, if we go silent, the rocks shall cry out. I won't let a rock cry out for me today. I won't let a rock cry out for me today. That's if I preached about the palms. But on the other hand, if I preached about the Passion Sunday, I would have to tell you a different story. I would have to tell you that this parade was really a funeral procession. This day marked the beginning of the end. The week of betrayal and the week that would end in suffering and in death. If I preached about Passion Sunday, I would tell you the stories of the Last Supper and how Jesus shared with His disciples those things He wanted them to remember the most. I would share with you the familiar stories of the arrest, the torture, and the crucifixion. And so as I wrestled yesterday about do I preach on palms or passion, I figured I would just preach on both. I'll tell you a story this morning. There once was a young farm boy who lived on the outskirts of town. and He was coming home from school one day and he saw some men putting up a billboard or a poster across a fence. And he hung around until they finished it. He was curious as could be. And it told of a real live circus that was coming to town. One that had animals and everything that you could imagine. So the boy hurried home and he told his father and asked if he could go to the circus. The father knew that they didn't have any money, but told the boy that he could go anyway. So come the day of the circus, the boy hurriedly finished all of his chores and then changed his clothes. And he went to his father and said, can I go to the circus? His father smiled and handed him a dollar. That was the most money that that boy had ever seen before. In fact, the boy one time was in school and the teacher said, Little Johnny, if, I had, or, or if you had five cents in one pocket and ten cents in the other pocket, what would you have? And the boy responded, Somebody else's pants. That's how poor the boy was. His father told him, Go, have a good time and be careful. So off the little boy ran. When he got to town, he saw the whole town standing on either side of the road. And he heard the noises, and here comes the circus. His heart raced, and his eyes just began to get as big as the band played their instruments as they walked past him on the road. And next came some of the animals in cages, and oh, he was scared, but he stood his ground And how exciting this was. 
Then group after group, all kinds of neat people and things would come by. The list lasted for the longest time, it seemed. And then, at the very end, was a clown all by himself. He had the traditional clown garb on, complete with the painted face and the big floppy shoes. When the boy saw the clown, he ran to him and gave him the dollar. And the boy went home satisfied. He saw the parade, but he thought it was the circus. And that's how many Christians view the Easter week. They see the celebration in the first part today, Palm Sunday, the day that Jesus rides into town, not as a normal king would ride in to be victorious. You see, in biblical times, when a king would would ride in or out of town and he rode on a horse, they were going into battle. They were going into war. They were going out to say, we are going to be victorious. And when the king came home or the king left on a donkey or a small colt, it was that I've come in peace or we're going to bring peace. And so when Jesus rode into town, they see that there is peace that is coming to Jerusalem. He rode in on a donkey. Jesus did not ride in on a majestic horse. He didn't ride in with bands playing ahead of him with the trumpets and the snare drums and the cymbal. But he simply rode in on a donkey. And so we see this glorious man who comes into town. And we see the first part. And then we see the last part on next Sunday when Jesus arose out of the grave. But, but what we happen to miss is the passion of the cross in the middle. And we think we've seen it all and we can get satisfied because we've seen the beginning and we've seen the end. But we miss what's in the middle. I was one of those students in school that I read the first chapter and I read the last chapter and I would write my book report off of those two chapters. Anybody else one of those students? We had these, we had these books that you could order on eBay. eBay had just come out. They were called Cliff Note books. Anybody remember Cliff Note books? They had just gotten popular when I, when I came into high school and and you would get on eBay and you would pray that they had the Great Gatsby in Cliff Notes. Or you would pray that they had Mice of Men in Cliff Notes. Or you would pray that they had whatever book you were reading in Cliff Notes. And if they did, you spent that $6.32 and $2 shipping on eBay for that little Cliff Note book. And what that was is when you got that book and you opened it up, it was your book report right there. And this was all good and well until the teachers found out about Cliff Notes. And they started buying Cliff Notes. And they could see your book report based off of, you didn't read the book, you read the Cliff Notes. So many times we get into the Word of God and we read Genesis and we read Revelation, but we miss everything in the middle. We know what happened in the beginning. We know what happened in the end, but we miss out on the important information that's in the middle. In John's telling of the story, and when you read the book of John, there is triumph. The palm branches and many people, they came out to celebrate the Lord Jesus. This was John's account. In Luke's gospel that he wrote, his account, there was multitudes of people singing praises, hailing Jesus as the king. In Matthew's account that he gives, there's a huge crowd of people, pomp and circumstance. But then Mark tells us a different story. When you read Mark's version of the story out of his book, the ride into Jerusalem is not a mini Easter celebration like it is for the other disciples, but 
It's more of a ragtag parade than a grand processional. There's not a lot of hoopla. In Mark's gospel, it is Palm Sunday. But there is a strong backdrop of fear and somberness. Why did the people cheer on Sunday and then shout on crucify on Friday? There's many possible reasons, but one simple reason is that their words did not match their heart. They possessed a casual but not committed faith. They had religion, but they missed the person, Jesus. So how can we have a committed faith? How can we be real and sincere, consistent in all that we do? One of the reasons that they could quickly go from one tune to the other was because their commitment was self-centered and not Christ-centered. It sounds obvious, but we often miss that. We often miss that. How many of you have, have gotten frustrated talking with somebody about maybe something political and one week they're on this, on this platform and the next week they're on this platform and it depends on who they're with? Does that get frustrating? Am I the only one today? It's frustrating. If you don't know what you stand for, you'll fall for anything. So these people that cheered on one Sunday and crucify him on Friday... In America, we tend, to have, we, we tend to say to God, God, this is my calendar. This is where I can fit you in. I can, I can squeeze you in on Sunday between 10 o'clock and noon, uh, but then I got, a, I got a something on no, Sunday afternoon, and on Wednesdays, that's going to be tight, but I may be able to get you in, maybe on Mondays too. You see, pulling God out or, or turning to God only when it's convenient or useful is not committed. And it's not Christ-centered. In our passage, the people praised Jesus as He passed by, but many of them praised Him for two reasons. First, because of His miracles. They praised Him for what He had done. Look at this great man who, who had, had, had healed the blind, and He healed the lame, and He brought the dead back. And they praised Him because He was serving them. And secondly, they saw in Jesus a way to be politically delivered from the Romans. To be set free from Rome the way that Israel was set free from Egypt. Their praise was tempered with an attitude of, Jesus, what can you do for me? And a few days later at the trial, they see a beaten and disfigured Jesus. A man who no longer looked like a deliverer or a conqueror. And as words were said about him, they brought into all the lies and quickly changed their position. And for them, it was not about him, it was about me. And there's a legend of an ancient village in Spain where villagers learned that the king would pay a visit. And in a thousand years of, of Spain, a king had never come to that village. So excitement began to through. They said, we have to throw a party for this king. We have to do something special. Well, many of the villagers were whiners. And so, not whiners as in complainers, but they had wineries at their, their farms. And so they said, let's bring the best wine that we have. Let's put it all in a vat for the king and we will serve him with our best wine. And when the king begins to draw the wine to drink, it will be the very best that he's ever tasted. So the day before the king's arrival, the hundreds of people who had brought wine, they came and they lined up to make their offering to the honored guest. They climbed a small staircase and they got to the top of the vat and they filled the vat with their wine until it was full. The next day the king arrived and he was escorted to the square, given a silver cup and it was, he was told to draw the wine which represented the best that the villagers had ever had. 
He put his cup under the spigot and he turned the handle. And then he began to drink the wine, but it was nothing more than water. Because every one of the villagers reasoned that I can withhold my best wine and substitute the water. Because with so many cups of wine in that vat, the king will never know the difference. The problem was everyone else thought the same thing and the king was greatly dishonored. There's been times that we come into the sanctuary and we come in and we come to give God praise. And we, we're not feeling well or maybe we're tired or maybe we're exhausted and we think, well, you know what, I'm not going to praise God and everything today that I can because somebody else can do it for me. I'm just exhausted. And, and, but what tends to happen is, is other people come in and they're tired. Other people come in and they're, they're hurting and they're broken and they don't know how to praise. And what tends to happen is somebody else sees you and they focus more on you and what your problem is other than focusing on Jesus. Can I just be real with you today? They may not know what your problem is, but they see it on your face. We used to sing a song in church, we're a happy people, yes we are. And I remember looking as a kid, I'd look up on the platform and I'd see the old church ladies. We had two accordion players in our church. We had an acoustic guitar player, a grand piano player, an organ player, and there was not any of them that were under the age of 70. The praise team was the, the praise team leader was probably about forty something years old, and the, the praise the praise team was right in their fifties to sixties. And they would get up there and they sing, "We're a happy people, yes we are." I'd be sitting there as a kid going, "Are you sure you're happy? Because your face doesn't." Because downstairs in kids' church we sing a song: "If you're happy and you know it, then your face will surely show it." And there's Sundays, I look out at some of y'all and I think, oh my goodness, what's going on in your life right now? Do you need a hug today? When we come in, we're supposed to have joy. And it's hard to have joy when everything's going wrong. We had a funeral here yesterday and, and, and I always, I, I, this, sounds, this may sound weird, but I enjoyed going to funerals sometimes of people that I don't know because you learn a lot about people. And somebody got up and they said, I learned from this man to smile no matter what. And he told a story about how they were working on a house over in Chicago and it was below zero temperatures. They were outside. They said they were just shivering, but the whole time he had a smile. He goes, I don't know if it froze that way or if he was just happy to be working, but he was smiling about it. And I left and I thought, boy, how many times has my you know, resting face given off this bad feeling to somebody else? Because I've been told I don't have a nice resting face. I've been told, somebody's come up, they go, hey, what's your problem today? I go, I don't have a problem. They said, well, look at your face. I go, I can't. You got a mirror? If you got a mirror, I'll look at it. But I can't just look at my face. I'll tell my kids, hey, Brown, turn that frown upside down. See, we get in our minds so many times, well, somebody else can do it, so I'm, I, I won't have to do this today. I'm not going to serve today because there will be plenty of people to serve. I'm not going to show up because there will be other people that will show up. But in this particular case, every villager thought the same thing. Somebody else will bring their best wine so I can leave mine at home. You see, our faith in God must be relationship driven. Many of those who gathered to throw their coats and their palm branches onto the street and who shouted praises did so because it was the popular thing to do. 
was the popular thing to do. I ask my kids whenever they say, Daddy, I want this, or Dad, can you take me here? Dad, I want this game, or I want this, I want to do this. Why do you want to do that? Well, because so-and-so's doing it. Nope, that's not a good enough reason. Anybody else know what I'm talking about? I want my kids to think for themselves. I don't want them to do something just because somebody else is doing it. When I would say that, my parents would, well, if they all went and jumped off a bridge, would you do it? Anybody else? T- anybody else? My, my boys, it's, Jace, why did this happen? Jackson told me to. You know what my response was right away? If he told you to jump off a bridge, would you do it? Jace said, how high was the bridge? So I got to think of something else. But we shouldn't do stuff just because other people are doing it. Your ability to come to church should not be just because somebody else is going to church. Hey, are you going to church today? I don't know. I might not go then either. No, it's not about the person next to you. It's about God. Your relationship with Christ should be between you and Him and not somebody else and Him. It became trendy to throw palm branches and coats on the ground. Perhaps some began doing it with a sincere motive, but then others did it because others were doing it. Later, when they get to the trial, they were shouting, crucify him, because that was the thing to do. I'm sure if they had Twitter back then, it would have been trending, hashtag crucify. In fact, for a brief moment, it was the trendy thing to do to make a mass murderer free when they set loose Barabbas. And our own lives, committed faith comes only through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. One where every day is fresh and it's new as He personally directs our steps. In order to have a committed faith, we must develop and maintain a personal relationship with Jesus. And we must serve Him in good times and in bad times. At the parade, it was trendy to offer praise. Everyone was doing it. But at the trial, to speak out for Jesus was risky, possibly even life-threatening. Many of us come to Jesus expecting everything to go good and maybe a little bit of bad from time to time, but not too much of it. So when the bottom drops out for us, what do we do? Why, God? Why does this happen? Why did my kids leave? Why did my spouse leave me? Why did I lose my job? Why did my car blow up? Why did my house catch on fire? Why, why, why? And we think that it's not supposed to happen this way. And if our faith is based on our situations or our circumstance, we will never be committed. It will always be casual. Let me say that again. If your faith is based on your current circumstance or your situation, then you will never have a committed relationship with Christ. The disciples, all of them but one, had a committed relationship with Jesus. The disciples reluctantly followed Jesus into Jerusalem. They feared because Jesus had told them several times that Jerusalem would be the place of His death. And when the, when the prophecy about the donkey is foretold, Because they were told that when when Jesus gets ready to go into Jerusalem to face His his crucifixion, the time of His ascension, or or the time of His death and then ascension, that the disciples would go and they would go into town and on the outskirts of town they would find a donkey or a colt tied to the hitch post. 
And that when the owner would come out and say, why are you untying my donkey? They would say, this is for the Lord. And the owner would say, go right ahead. And so when they came to the town and, and Jesus said, go and find my donkey and bring it to me, the first one you see. And the, the disciples went and they did. And the owner came and he said, why are you taking my donkey? They said, it's for our Lord. And the owner said, go right ahead. So they were reluctant. And when the prophecy about the donkey is foretold and it comes true, the anxiety and fear deepens because they realize that the prophecy that Jesus makes it seems to be right on. And Mark's account is both a Palm Sunday and a Passion Sunday. And if we are to do justice to the events of long ago, we've got to celebrate this day as such. But even as I say this, I'm aware of our tendency to dwell on the palms over the Passion. We like the palms. We like the palms. When we enter into a room, we like to be recognized. We like for people to, to see us and glorify us. And, hey, it's good to see you. Hey, look who's here. We're all about the palms. And very few of us are about the passion. As humans, we tend to think about the uplifting things in life instead of those things that are somber. Even if the latter has the message that we need to hear. To more fully understand everything that surrounded Jesus and to figure out what to make of all the events. We have to think about the parades, but also think about the cross. One does us no good if we don't understand the other. We know from all accounts that Good Friday was anything but a peaceful, lazy day in the sunshine. Crowds swarmed over the entire area shouting and loud and sometimes angry voices. And there was a hint of a flower's fragrance, but it was quickly hidden by the odor of darkness that hung in the air. And I think that for Jesus and his disciples, it was anything but a good Friday. We need to look at the good and the bad and so we can better understand that Jesus Christ deliberately chose to endure the suffering and this death just for you and for me. To understand that he did so because of his great love for us. So we look at the, chronolo the, 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 the chronological uh, days of the Passion Week. And we can look at how Jesus and his disciples began their trip to Jerusalem from Galilee. They traveled south on the eastern side of the Jordan River. And they traveled through the city of Jericho where Zacchaeus met Jesus. Y'all remember Zacchaeus? He was a wee little man and a wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree to... The Lord he wanted to see. On Friday, they arrived at Bethany. It was a little village just east of Jerusalem. And there they, they stayed with their friends, Lazarus. Y'all remember Lazarus? Lazarus died. They put him in the grave. Mary and Martha ran to Jesus and they said, Our brother has died. And he's buried. And Jesus came and, and he went in and, and he said, Lazarus, come forth. So Lazarus comes forth because he was wrapped up, you know. All right, making sure y'all get that. Lazarus comes forth, and I heard somebody say Lazarus came out, and he said, what do you want? I'm stinketh now. I was resting. Listen, if I'm ever laying in a casket and I'm dead, don't anybody bring me back to life. Let me go. I'll be at that marriage supper. Wait, I'll be putting the plates out for y'all. Just let me go. 
But they go and they stay with Lazarus and Mary and Martha. This family not only supported Jesus financially, but their home was his home whenever he was in the area. The chief priests and the Pharisees, they were hoping that Jesus would come to the feast and, and that they had laid out plans to arrest him. And they were offering a reward of 30 pieces of silver for information that led to his arrest. So on Friday evening, six days before the Passover, Mary, the sister of Lazarus, she came in and she anointed Jesus' feet with costly perfume we read about from John. On Saturday, he kept the Sabbath in the traditional fashion with his friends and he rested. On Sunday, this is the triumphal entry. Today, Jesus rides triumphantly but peacefully into Jerusalem on a donkey, fulfilling the ancient prophecy from Zechariah chapter 9. The people welcome him with Hosanna in singing the words of Psalms 118. And Jesus at this moment is officially presenting himself to the nation as the Messiah. On Monday, there's the cleansing of the temple. This is the day that Jesus returned to Jerusalem because he spent each night in Bethany with Lazarus, Mary, and Martha. And on the way into town, he sees a fig tree and he curses the fig tree, which is a very highly symbolic act. And when he enters into the temple, he chases out the corrupt money changers. And this shows the messianic authority. He says, this is my father's house. And he fulfills another prophecy that implies that the Messiah will appear there suddenly and take possession of it. We read about in Malachi chapter 3. So they return to Bethany and on the way home, they see the fig tree that was cursed is now withered. On Tuesday, it's the day of controversy and teaching in the parables. On this day, Jesus personally confronts the authorities and defends his claim to be the Messiah. The occasion for their questions was his violent action the previous day. He said, how can you be the Messiah? You came in and you flipped over the tables in our temple. You lashed out at us. Mark's gospel gives the most detailed account of this in Mark chapter 11 and 13. The day ends with Jesus pronouncing a curse on the city and announcing that the kingdom of Jerusalem will be taken away from the nation. And he explains the significance of the cursed fig tree. We can read about that from Matthew in chapter 23. On the return to Bethany, the disciples are loaded with questions. And Jesus stops at the Mount of Olives and he overlooks the temple and he gives the Mount of Olives discourse. The Olive Discourse is a detailed prophecy largely about the coming destruction that Jerusalem and the temple are going to have due to the rejection of Jesus as the Messiah by the Jewish authorities. We move into Wednesday and it's the silent day. After an exhausting day of controversy, Jesus more than likely spends this day resting and visiting with his intimate friends. On Thursday, this is the day of preparation and Passover in the evening. On this day, preparation is made for the Passover. Judas took this opportunity to utilize this time for his betrayal. Matthew tells us about this in, verse, or in chapter 26. On Thursday evening, the Passover is celebrated. Friday by the Jewish reckoning. And it's celebrated in the upper room. Tradition has it that it was owned by Mark's parents. And at the end of the Jewish feast, Jesus institutes the Last Supper. The Last Supper is then followed by the Upper Room Discourse. 
And sometime in the evening after the Passover, Jesus and his disciples leave the upper room and they go to the Garden of Gethsemane. And it was a place near the Mount of Olives where it was custom for Jesus to pray. And while in the garden, we now see that Jesus is betrayed by Judas and he is arrested by the temple guards. The trials begin on Thursday evening. Before dawn, Jesus had been now been tried twice before Ananias and Cephas. And everything about the trials that's happening is illegal. We move past midnight and early Friday morning. Trials, crucifixion, death, and burial. Jesus' third trial is held early in the morning before the Sanhedrin council. The first three trials were before the religious authorities where he is found guilty. Jesus is then taken before Pilate. This is the fourth trial where he is found innocent. He is subsequently then taken to Herod who finds him innocent. The fifth trial. But then he goes back to Pilate who they now find him innocent again. The sixth trial. But Pilate relents under pressure because he fears an uprising. And then he notes on the sign... King of the Jews. This was Pilate probably scared that he wanted to avoid trouble with Rome because there was not to be a king other than Caesar. Matthew tells us in chapter 27, the chief priest and the elders persuaded the crowd that day to ask for Barabbas and then to have Jesus executed. Which of the two do you want me to release to you? Asked the governor, Pilate. And they begin to yell, Barabbas, give us Barabbas. So Pilate released Barabbas. And he looked over to Jesus and he said, What shall I do then with Jesus, who is called the Messiah? And the people began to answer, Crucify him. Why? Pilate asks. He says, What crime has he committed? And they shouted all the louder, crucify him. And when Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere in trying to save this man, instead of an uproar that was starting, he took water and he washed his hands in front of the crowd. And he spoke to them and he said, I am innocent of this man's blood. This is now your responsibility. And the people answered, his blood is on us and on our children. And so now Pilate releases Jesus to the guards and to the people. And about 9 a.m., Jesus is crucified. He's crucified on a hill called the Skull outside of the city. And while we cannot know for certain, it is likely that this is the site where God commanded Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. Remember, Jesus was crucified at 9 o'clock. At noon, the sky becomes dark either due to a supernatural darkness or an eclipse. During that time, the Savior, our Savior, experienced hell for us. And hell is to be utterly forsaken by God. Three hours later at 3 p.m. in the afternoon, Jesus utters the most important words to believers when He cries out with a loud voice, It is finished. And the phrase literally means paid in full. The spotless Son of God became sin for all of us. Jesus gives us His life and He fulfills the the typology of the Passover lamb at exactly the time that lambs were being slaughtered 
in the temple. At that same time, Mark tells us that in the temple, the veil is completely rent, not from bottom to top, but from top to bottom. Jesus is on the cross six hours, hanging there, barely able to breathe, with nails through his hands, arms broken as they're trying to hold him up, a nail through both of his feet, holding him up, and a crown of thorns placed on his head, and no doubt the splinters from that cross getting into the open wounds of his back that he had experienced from the cat of nine tails. And so now at the end of the day, Jesus is laid in Joseph's tomb before the Sabbath began at sunset. This was around 6 p.m. On Saturday, Jesus' body lies in the tomb. After 6 p.m., the Sabbath is over. And they treat his body with spices. On Sunday, this is the resurrection day. Sometime early Sunday morning, Jesus raises from the dead possibly before dawn. And in doing so, he fulfills the typology of the first fruits that we read about in 1 Corinthians and that Matthew tells us in chapter 28. Through his death, believers are justified. And that is through his resurrection, we can be assured that the sacrifice of the Lamb of God was accepted and therefore our resurrection is certain. Jesus didn't remain aloof to us because of our sin. He closed the gap and he offered his loving salvation. This week as we walk through these events that happened long ago, we remember the Lord and we remember the road that he traveled for us and, and we rejoice that the love that he gave was for us and it's what led him to do it. And in response to this love, God calls us to consider our own lives. To respond by also walking the path of love. Going places or doing things that may be uncomfortable just so we can let someone else know how much they are loved too. Example today, we are called to evangelize others. There's many ways to evangelize. We encourage whatever works. But we remember it would be fantastic it could get more people to come to this church, but what's important is that you introduce people any way that you can to Jesus Christ. That's the most important thing. Sometimes moving out of a routine, going places we normally don't feel comfortable going or talking to people we normally don't feel comfortable talking to will lead us to a place of destiny. Anywhere that we go that is not perceived by you as being 100% pleasant is going to be uncomfortable. And it's going to look like one of those dark places that we try to avoid. It takes courage to walk down that road. But because of the love of Christ that's in your heart, we have to continue. It may take you from a good time and direct your attention on the bad time, but because of love, you do it. Perhaps the reason that Mark downplays the jubilance of Palm Sunday is because we should be focused on the passion more than the palm. When Jesus came into Jerusalem that day, He didn't come looking for palm branches to be laid out before Him. He didn't come looking for a circus. He didn't come looking for the trumpets to be playing, announcing His arrival. Jesus came with a passion. 
But as human beings, our tendency is not to come for a passion, but it's to come for the palms. Our tendency is that we want to come in and we want to receive credit for everything that we've done. Look at how many souls I've won. Look at how many Bible studies I've taught. Look at how many people I've brought. Look how many instruments I can play. Look at how well I can sing. Look at how good I serve. Hey, take a picture of me being humble as I vacuum this floor. That's not how Jesus came. Jesus came with a passion. And Mark wants us to focus on the passion. The future as well as the present. And we need to see Jesus as God rather than to see Him as just an earthly king. It will only be by looking ahead to the cross that we can realize just what kind of sacrifice Jesus made for us out of His love for us. Many of us tend to jump from celebration of the parade to the open tomb without giving much thought to the cross or to focus on it. And I understand that looking at the brutal torture and killing of a loved one is hard to do, but it must be done. The things that lead up to the cross tell a story. But they don't by themselves show the love. Eric said it a few minutes ago. He said, when Easter comes up next Sunday, invite all of your C&E friends, your Christmas and Easter. And I leaned over to my wife. I said, we call those CEOs, our Christmas Easter only. So many people, they want to celebrate the birth and they want to celebrate the resurrection. But they miss what's in the middle. They miss why we celebrate these things. The cross tells us what happened out of love. And it tells us that prophecy had, be, had been fulfilled so that events after the cross could take place. He died for us. He rose for us. And he who died for us is still living today. And he is still loving today. And he wants a personal relationship with each of us today. Would you stand with me? In this house. I didn't mean to get this deep today. I didn't mean to get. Into all of. I don't know. Just where the Lord led me today. I hope it's okay. Every beginning should have an ending. And every ending needs a beginning. But every beginning and every ending. Needs a story. To tie the two together. The celebration of the palms led to the passion of the cross. And the passion of the cross led to the ascension into heaven. The beginning and the end. Complete with a perfect middle. So today is for you to decide and make a decision if you're up to it. If you're up to walk down this road. To say I'm about to be passionate like never before. I don't want just the palms. I don't want just the celebration. I don't want just this. But I want a true relationship with Christ. Or are you going to run away from it? Hoping that it will disappear and you won't be called on to make that decision. I remember being in class that, and I, I'd get my, my book. And when it was time, you know, we did uh, popcorn reading. And popcorn reading was where you would read something and then you would look around and you... You'd finish reading, you go, 
And, and that was all he said. Mark, and then Mark has to read. And then when Mark gets done, he can say, Abby, and she can say, Pammy, and he, she, you can go one to another. I remember I would slump down in my desk, and I'd put my book up in front of my face. Because I didn't want people to pick on me to, to read. When it came time for the teacher to ask questions, you know, and how many of you, you always had to be ready because you never knew. And anybody have one of those teachers like I had that she purposely picked on you if, if you weren't paying attention at all? Like you were in complete daydream mode, looking out the window, and she would pick on you and say, hey, what does this mean? And you, uh, um, two? Two? Yeah, the answer is two. We're doing reading right now. We're not doing math. Some of us think that if we can hide down in our pew long enough, if we can stay home long enough, that God isn't going to call on us at one point or another. But there's going to come a day that God's going to call on you. There's going to come a day that a trumpet is going to sound. Everybody's going to hear the trumpet. And I believe that everybody is going to go to heaven. I believe that. But not everybody will walk through those gates. Because we'll all go before the throne of judgment. And when God opens that book, the Lamb's book of life, and when He begins to go down the book, and He begins to say the names of those that have went before us, because the dead in Christ, they're going to rise first. And when we get there and He gets to our name, or where our name should be, is it going to be there? Are we going to make that commitment today to say, God, I'm selling out today. I'm selling out to you and what you want me to do. I'm sacrificing my life for your will. This is a week where we look at and, and you can really look to see if you're casual or you're committed. Because as we approach this week where Jesus suffered incredibly for us, it's a week where our sins, our past, our present, and our future, where the nails that hung Him on the cross doesn't, doesn't compare to anything that we could ever do. I believe Jesus deserves a second look for us. He deserves total control of our lives. He deserves a personal relationship with you. And this week I ask that you would consider that. And I would pray that you would choose to give everything that you have to Him. Everything with inside of you. Give it to God. Give it to God. Lord, I thank you for this service that you've given us today. The time together that you've allowed us to have. I thank you today for the freedom to worship in this house. Lord, we could live in another place, in another country. Another part of the world that doesn't experience the same freedom that we have here. I thank you for the freedoms that you've given us to worship together freely and openly. I thank you for the abilities that you've given this church to serve this community. And Lord, that's what I pray today, that you would give us a heart to serve. Not just to serve you, but to serve each other. To love one another to walk with one another when we're hurting. That when we see our brother or sister hurting, we can go by and rather than just, we can say a prayer, but other than just say the prayer, let us help them up and walk with them on this journey. Lord, I pray today that this church would become a complete sellout for you.
God, that whatever you call on us and ask us to do, we would hear the call and we would answer the call with yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, and amen. Lord, I pray today that you would open our hearts and our minds this week for you. That we wouldn't just look at this week as another celebration, but we would truly see the love that you've poured out for us. Just as those of us that have children and we want our children to see how much we love them. and God, we want you to know how much we love you. Lord, I love you today. I thank you for dying on a cross for my sins. Thank you for being the one who went and took the punishment so I didn't have to. That when I leave this earth, when I die from this earth, whenever that time may be, I can go peacefully. Because you went willingly. I thank you today for everything you've done for us. I give you the glory. I give you the praise today. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I thank you for being with us today. If you need prayer in your body today, you would like the elders to pray for you. You can come forth here in just a moment and the elders will meet you here at the altar to pray over you. We're going to have a great time next Sunday. I hope that you'll, you'll be here. I hope you'll bring your kids, bring your grandparents. or If you are a grandparent, bring your kids and bring your grandkids. Or We're going to have an excellent, excellent time. I hope that you'll join us. We're preaching about the love of Jesus. I promise you it won't be this deep. It's going to be a good time. I pray blessings over you. Go in God. Go loving one another. And uh, we will see you Wednesday night for Bible study. Tomorrow night if you're able to be here for prayer. Uh, or we will see you next Sunday morning. 9.30 for fellowship and 10 o'clock for service. God bless you. You are.